Well, good morning, Destiny Church. Merry Christmas. It's so good to see you this morning, and thank you for being with us today. I hope that uh, you really enjoy our time together. Let's give all the kids a big hand today that are with us. Love having family service with the kids. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a great time uh, together with, with the kiddos. My name's Pastor Matt, and uh, we're just really glad to have you here with us today. If you would, open with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we see the Christmas story, and so we're going to read that this morning. And we're also going to look at Luke chapter 15 as well. So if you have your Bibles, you can kind of open to both of those places today. Now, parents, don't worry. I know that your kids are with you and they're a little bit restless. I'm not going to preach for two hours today, just one hour, okay? So no, no worries. Uh, no, but we, I, I do have a message uh, for us today from this Christmas story uh, that is going to be a blessing to you and blessing to our families today. So let's pray. Father, we're so glad to be in your house today. Lord, as, as we come into to your house, we come in, Lord, as your children. Lord, that you have accepted into a relationship with you. Lord, we're not strangers entering into a stranger's house, but we're family coming into our Father's house. And so it's so good to be here with you this morning. Lord, it's so good to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ today as, as we look around this room. We we see those that are part of our, our Christian family, and we thank you for that today. Lord, most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, Lord, who came and, and lived a life without sin and, and died on the cross so that we who have faith in him could be received back into your family. Lord, thank you for the Christmas story and the Christmas message and the Christmas season. Lord, stir up our affections for you and our love for you because, Lord, you have first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 2 this morning, this has been my family's Christmas tradition for as long as I can remember, uh, even as I was just a little kid. I remember sitting at the breakfast table with my grandfather who used to read it. And uh, now I'm the oldest person in my family, and so it's my job now to, to read the Christmas story. But uh, I, I did want to read it uh, to you uh, today, and there's a message in here that I think will bless you. So Luke chapter 2, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed or registered. I want you to know that oppressive governments are not a new thing, that this has been going on since forever, and so Caesar decides the whole world's going to be taxed or registered, and it says that this was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now, you might read over that and think, well, why is that in there? But let me just say that, that this is not a once-upon-a-time story. This is real life and real events that happened in real history. This isn't just some fairy tale that someone thought of and made up. No, these are real events that are happening in real time in our history, in the history of humanity. And so Luke here puts in this detail for us that, 
that this isn't just a fairy tale, that this was an event that took place in the course of time, in the course of history, and these are the other historical events that were happening at that time. And so he says in verse 3 that all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, he was engaged to a woman named Mary, who was with child. Now we know from reading the story earlier in Luke chapter 1 that the child is not Joseph's, the child is not Mary's uh, mailman, the child is of the Holy Ghost. God the Father has performed an incredible miracle and Mary is now a virgin who is pregnant with the Son of God. So it says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they may know the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now I want us to go back and for a moment, I want to look at the message that the angel brought in verse 10. The message that the angel brought in verse 10 and verse 11. The angel appeared and said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you what? Good news, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The good news is that there is a Savior who is being born today, and this Savior is the Christ. This Savior is the Messiah. This Savior is the Lord himself. This is the good news of Christmas. So that's what I want to talk to you about just a little bit today is the good news of Christmas. 
Now, how many of you love good news? Oh, I love good news. I mean, good news is like my favorite thing in the whole wide world. I, I, how many of you like bad news? No, nobody in here likes bad news. Everybody in here loves good news. I detest bad news so much that that's why I hardly ever watch, read, or listen to the news, because usually the news is only bad news. And so I hardly ever read, watch, or listen to the news, because it's all bad news, and I don't like bad news, but I love good news. In fact, every meeting that I'm in charge of and that I lead, at the top of the list, the number one agenda item is good news. I want to know what is good that is happening, what can we celebrate, what has God done, what is going right is what I want to know. What is the good news? Now, sometimes we get a phone call or a, a conversation and it goes a little bit like this. Do you want the good news or the Bad news first. You know which one I always pick first? No, the bad news. Because I want to get it out of the way. I want it to be in the past so we can move on to and, and, and live in the good news. I don't like bad news. In, in fact, I, I kind of have, a, um, I have, a, I have a, an issue with bad news. I've, I've received several phone calls in my life that have had such bad news that now when I receive a phone call out of the blue, it, it triggers what my counselor called, uh, what did he say it was? Worst case scenario thinking. That, that I've been tra literally traumatized by, by some of the worst calls but when, mom, when my mom was passing away, I, I got a phone call out of the blue. And, and now when I get a phone call out of the blue, I have this, this trigger that puts me into worst case scenario thinking. And so I, I really don't like bad news. I also don't like phone calls out of the blue. Um, a, a couple of months ago, Heather called me. She doesn't call me very much during the day. If, if we have to talk, she normally texts me. So she calls me. And I'm like, oh, right, this trigger's going off. And she answers the phone and she says, something bad has happened. And that just, you know, what, who is dead? What has happened to the kids? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, the, the floor falls out from underneath me. What, well, what has happened? Well, I was driving down the road and my, my car broke down and, and now I'm pulled over on the side of the road. Oh, okay, I'll come get you. So I get in the car, I get her, and we get a tow truck, and every, the car's fine, you know, it's, you know, whatever. So later that night, I told her, I said, listen. <laughs> the car breaking down on the side of the road, that's not something really bad. That's not bad news. Is it an inconvenience? Yeah. Is it not the best day ever? Yeah, but it's just part of living life in the broken world. Like, next time, don't start with something really bad has happened unless someone has died or someone has died. Like, just don't start with that. Okay, fine, yes, yeah, so we, we get that all squared away. Last night, last night I get a phone call. I'm, I'm kind of getting, winding down, going to bed, 
watching a basketball game, and um, which which ended up being bad news. Yes, <laughs> and my my phone rings, and it's it's well late into the evening, and I look, and it's Pastor Terry calling me. And now I know that if Pastor Terry's calling me on Saturday night after bedtime. It's not for good news. I'm not calling to tell me good news on Saturday night. And so he calls and he, he, picks, he answers. I say, yes, Terry. And he says, I've got some bad news. And so immediately I'm just thinking, who has died? Who is dead? And he goes on to say, well, I was over here at the church. I was checking on something and we have a, another water leak. And so I've, I've shut the water off, and we're going to have to get the water leak fixed. Okay, great. We can handle another water leak. Not a problem. The good news is he was here, he saw it, he stopped it, and the best news is that Pastor Terry's on it, and we're going to get it fixed, right? I mean, it's not a big deal. But I don't like bad news. I like good news. And the Christmas story is all good news. It's just good news. The angels come and they don't say, I've got some good news and bad news. The angels come and they say, I've got good news. A savior, the savior, the Christ, the Messiah. He is coming and in fact, he's gonna be born tonight just down the street. You can go and find him. You can go and see him. You can go and meet him. You can go and worship him. He, he's not in a castle behind being guarded by a bunch of people. No, in fact, anybody can come and find this Savior. He, he's not even behind closed doors. He's in a barn lying in a manger. You don't have to have credentials. You, you don't have to be someone super important. You can just be a lowly shepherd, and you can go and find and meet the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, who is, they say, the Lord. God himself, Yahweh, in the flesh. He doesn't come and say, I've got bad news. He comes and he says, no, I've got good news. The Christmas message is only good news. Now, I want you to notice something in your Bible. If you're in Luke chapter 2 and you hold your Bible up, what you kind of see here is that the, the, the Christmas story, it's not the beginning of the story. The, the, the Christmas story, the story of Jesus coming, the story of good news, it's actually not the beginning of the story. It's actually not even at the halfway point. It's, it's three quarters of the way through the story that the good news comes. So what's, what's the first part? What, what's this, all of this over here? Let me tell you, this is the bad news. The, the Old Testament's the bad news. It's God telling us the, the bad news first. You know, if, if you don't know the bad news first, the good news doesn't make any sense. The good news doesn't make any sense if you don't know the bad news first. And so if someone ever tells you, hey, I've got good news and bad news, and you say, well, I want the good news first, they'll tell you the good news, and you'll say, I don't understand why that's good. So if, if Terry called me last night and he says, I got good news and bad news. What do you want first? I say, give me the good news. He says, I shut it off. 
Don't worry. I've taken care of it. Shut what off? What have you taken care of? I need the bad news to understand why the good news is it's good. And, and what this story is, is that God created the world good. In fact, the Bible says that God created the world, and when he created it, it was very good. But that humanity has taken God's very good world, and we have made it very bad. The humanity that was designed to, to be in relationship with God, that was designed to, to communicate with, with the creator God, has chosen to not follow God, to listen to God, to obey God, to, to, to really overthrow God's rule in our lives, and we've chosen to go our own way. We've decided to follow our own path. We've decided to follow our own hearts and not listen to God's way, to God's path, to God's heart. And in doing so, sin has come into the world, and sin has brought death, and sin has brought sickness, and sin has brought disease, and, and sin has brought brokenness in, in families, and brokenness in relationships, and, and every hurt, and every pain, and every sorrow that we ever experience in this life is because sin is in the world. And we see very quickly that God makes a promise. He says, one day there will be a Savior who comes, who will fix what you guys have broken, who will make right and make the world the way I designed it to be. And so we see that people begin looking for this savior. Even Eve, when she has her first son, Cain, she names him, I have received a child from the Lord, thinking that Cain will be the savior who will fix what they have broken. How did that turn out? Not very good. In fact, Cain is not a savior. In fact, Cain is a murderer. The very first person who's ever born becomes a murderer because sin is planted deeply in the heart of humanity. And God continues to send messengers and God continues to call people. And, and all of this story is just the story of human faults and failures in spite of the grace of God. This, this is not a, a book full of heroes. This is a book full of failures. There's one hero in this story. His name is Jesus Christ, the Savior. He's the only one. Every other person, even as God begins to, to call people to himself and, and calls a man named Abraham, uh, the patriarch of faith, a, a man of genuine faith, we see Abraham's actually kind of a coward, he has a problem with lying. He takes a second wife and fathers a child with a woman who's, who's not his true wife and creates huge problems. We see Abraham's son. Maybe it's Abraham's son who will be the savior, the chosen one. His name is Isaac. Well, when Isaac has two sons, Isaac loves Esau more than Jacob, and God tells Isaac to bless Jacob, but Isaac says, no, I love Esau, I'm going to bless Esau. And Isaac tries to, to go his own way, and, and then we see Jacob, and Jacob is a liar and a schemer and a backstabber, and, and, and he is willing to, to lie, cheat, and steal to do whatever he can to climb his way to the top. And these are the best people. These are God's people. Jacob ends up having two wives and four girlfriends. You think your Christmas dinner's complex. 
Imagine how the brothers and sisters of a family that has two wives and two girlfriends, how their breakfast table is. It's a mess. Joseph's kids, or I'm sorry, Jacob's kids decide they want to kill their little brother, Joseph. And one of them magnanimously stands up and says, I've got an idea. I don't think we should kill this young boy. We should sell him into slavery instead. We might as well get some lunch money from this deal. So they sell their brother into slavery. And what we see is all through the line, even of God's chosen people, are broken people because sin is, is deeply rooted in the heart of humanity. But as we open the pages of, of the New Testament now, bursting onto the scene are these angelic witnesses that come and say, the Messiah is coming, the promised one is coming, and he will be a savior, and he will save God's people from their sin. That the biggest problem that has been bringing hurt and harm and injustice and unrighteousness into the world, that this Savior, Jesus Christ, he will fix it. He will deal with it. He will remove sin from God's people. And so Jesus comes from heaven to earth, sent by God the Father, God the Son, now born in, in human flesh, sent here on a rescue mission as humanity has run away from God, God sends his son to run after humanity. Humanity that is in darkness and humanity that is lost. And so if you would flip over now to Luke chapter 15. Jesus comes and he comes and he says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to bring the light, God's light, into this dark world. I came to set people free from sin. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says that tax collectors and sinners are all drawing near to Jesus. So Jesus came to, to bring in the hurting, to bring in the broken, to bring in the sinful, and it's working. They're gathering around him. They love him. But we see the Pharisees grumble, saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. That Jesus comes here on a mission and there are people who are upset about the kind of people that Jesus is welcoming into his family. And so Jesus tells three parables. I don't have time to read them to you today, but all three parables are about something that has been lost. The first one Jesus tells is of a, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And while he's taking care of his hundred sheep, one of them wanders off. And so the shepherd, who is a good shepherd, he leaves his 99 sheep with other shepherds and caretakers, and he goes after and he searches for that lost sheep, that one sheep. He, he's not content to say, I've got these 99, that one, one, was, that one was always stupid anyway. No, he, he goes and he searches until he finds him. And when he finds the sheep, he brings him home and he throws a huge party for everyone who is, is in attendance. A huge celebration for the lost sheep that was found. The next story that Jesus tells is about a woman that has 10 silver coins. And somehow in the course of time, she loses one of them. And then she goes and then she counts her, her 10 coins. She realizes she only has nine. And it says, Jesus says that the woman does not stop searching until she finds 
that tenth coin, that she turns over every corner, that she takes a light into every dark place until she finds that coin that was lost. And when she does, she welcomes over her neighbors, her friends, her family, and has a great party and celebrates because what was lost has now been found. And then Jesus tells a story that is very familiar probably to most of us. It's the story of the prodigal son. The story of, of a father who had two sons, and, and one of the sons gets upset with the father and says, Dad, I don't want to have any relationship with you. Only give me my inheritance now, and I'm going to go live my life separated from my family. It's a picture of those who, who are lost in sin. And so the son leaves. He, the father gives him his inheritance. He says, that's what you want to do. That's fine. And, and so the son leaves, and, and it says he goes away into a far country, and he squanders all of the father's money on wild living, drugs. We got kids with us today. Lots of bad stuff, all right? It's like, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's like Cancun on spring break, okay? It's just, this is where he goes. Now, now think about what he has taken. He's taken his inheritance, which has been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation, that he's supposed to use to be a blessing to carry forward, and he squandered it all till he has nothing left. And so he hires himself out as a pig feeder, someone to feed pigs. And so he's, he's so destitute, he's so hungry, he's living like an animal, living in a pigsty, a literal pigsty, eating the food that he's feeding to the pigs. And he has this thought and he says, what am I doing? I'm a son of my father. Even, even his lowest servants have a life that's much better than this. I'll go back to my dad crawling on my knees and maybe, just maybe, I, I know he won't accept me as a son, but, but maybe he'll accept me as a servant. Maybe he'll receive me back and, and let me just clean the toilets in his house because that's even better than how I'm living here. And so it says that he makes his way, his journey back to his father's house and that as the father sees this, this figure coming, that he, he can't even make it to the house before the father runs, runs to his son and, and the son is trying to say, I'm, I'm sorry, Dad, I, I wasted everything. The, the family name, I've, I've, I've drug it through the mud. I, I haven't lived up to, to your stand. He's trying to, to repent, and he's trying to say, I, I just want to be a servant. I don't want to be a, a son anymore, and I can't, I'm not worthy to be your son. The dad doesn't listen to any of it. The dad grabs him, lifts him up in the air, kisses him, says, you're my son. He calls his servants. He says, Bring the family ring and put it on his finger. Bring the best robe and put him on, his, on, on him. He's naked. Clothe him. This is my son that's come home. Forget this servant nonsense. Kill the fatted calf. Call the neighbors. Throw a party. What you need to know is that the fatted calf, this, this wasn't just like a, a TV dinner in the microwave. This was something that had been saved and prepared for the most special of occasions. And, and, and killing the fatted calf meant that they were inviting the whole town, the whole village to this celebration. The, the son is saying, Dad, I've, 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 I've done things to make you ashamed. I've, I've drugged the family name through the mud. 
And the father says, forget all of that. You're my son. I'm not ashamed of you. Welcome home. Get everybody over here. Well, then the older brother finds out about it. The older brother won't go into the party. And so the father goes out to the older brother and says, come on in. The older brother's very upset and he says, you've done this, you've given him a ring, you've killed the fatted calf. Look at all of the expense that you have paid. And the reason why the older brother is upset is because the, now the father is spending the older brother's inheritance on the son. The father is taking what would go now to the oldest son, what is rightfully his, and he's now spending it to celebrate the son that had wasted all of the father's inheritance. And so the older brother is very upset. The older brother is very indignant. And we don't know if the older brother goes into the party or not. Jesus leaves it there hanging for us. Now the point of these three stories is that something very precious has been lost. The first is a sheep, the second is a coin, and the third is a son. And each of the stories ends with what was lost being found and a huge celebration happening. But something unusual is missing from the third story. In the first two stories, someone goes out and searches for the thing that was lost. The shepherd goes looking for the sheep. The woman goes looking for her coin. Now, what is more valuable than a sheep and a coin is certainly a son, yet no one goes out searching for the son. Why do you think that is? I've often wondered that. The Lord reminded me of another pair of brothers. I talked about them earlier, Cain and Abel. And when the younger brother Abel went missing, who did God come and talk to? The older brother Cain. And, and what, did, what did God say to Cain? He said, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And what did Cain say? Cain said, am I my brother's keeper. And what's implied by God going and asking Cain is that, yeah, you're your brother's keeper. And so what we have here is an older brother who refused to do what he should have done. He refused his responsibility. A good older brother, a good elder brother would have gone at his own expense searched until he found the younger brother and paid with his own money to bring him home, to clean him up, to pull him out of the pigsty. But the older brother failed in his responsibility. But in the Christmas story, what we have is our true elder brother, the, the son of God coming from heaven to earth at his own expense, at great personal expense, costing him everything, even his life, to come and to find us who have run away from God, who have gone our own way. And he comes and he pulls us up out of the mud, pulls us up out of sin, and he saves us. And he brings us back into the family where, where, where the elder brother in Jesus' story failed Jesus Christ is successful. Jesus Christ paid the price for sin. 
He paid the price to redeem us, to bring us back into the family of God. And in the Christmas story, what we see is that the Son of God is come to seek and to save the lost. He has come to find us, to ransom us. He has come to save us. This is the good news of Christmas. This is what the Christmas story is all about. It's not just about shepherds and it's not just about wise men and it's not just about a star and it's not just about angels. It's certainly not about reindeer and a fat man in a red shirt. It's about the man Jesus Christ. God become flesh, lived without sin to redeem us, to redeem us, to, to fix everything that was broken, to remove sin so that we could enter back into a right relationship with the Father. Now, in the time in which Jesus came into earth, there were many who had begun to wonder if their story was over. There were many who had begun to wonder, will God ever send his Messiah? Will the Savior ever come? There were many who began to wonder, have, has God given up on his people? Have God's people become so sinful? Have they, have they done too much that God will not send his Savior? And Christmas is the message that God has not changed his mind that God still has a purpose and a plan for his people. And you might feel like that today. You, you might feel like your story is over. You might feel like you, the, the die has been cast, that, that the lot has, is, is set in stone, and, and, and that your story is, is almost to the end, and that there's nothing left for you. Let me tell you, there's still a hope for you. There's still a plan for you. There's still destiny for you. There's still a call of God on your life that just as the story was not over for the people of Israel, even though they were in darkness, God still had a plan to bring the light of the Savior. And if you today will receive the light that Jesus brought, if you today will turn to Christ in faith, you will be welcomed back into God's family not as a servant, not as a second-class citizen, but as a son and a daughter with all of the rights and with all of the blessings that come with that. There is still time for you. Your story is not over. That's what the good news of Christmas is all about. It's that God still loves you. God still has a plan for your life. He still has a future for you. And this is why Christmas is not just good news. This is the greatest news the world has ever heard. This is the greatest news that we can now have a personal relationship with the Father. I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not talking about finding religion. I'm talking about a true, vibrant, living relationship with your Creator. This is what Jesus came to bring, restored relationship between broken sons and broken daughters who had gone our own way and restoring the relationship between our loving Father who is ready and willing to welcome us back home.
that Jesus, out of his own expense, paid the price for our sin, our foolishness, our folly, so that we could be ransomed back to God. I've often wondered if when Adam and Eve sinned and, and God made the plan to bring Jesus into the world, I kind of vision, envision heaven like a big boardroom and God sitting there with the heavenly host and God says, you know, one day I'm going to bring my son into the world as the savior and I want it to be a big deal. I want it to have some fanfare. And someone speaks up and is like, hey, what about a choir of angels? What do you think about that? God says, I like that idea. Can you get working on that? And so he, he sets the head choir angel, you know, the choir director for the angels. And he says, go get some songs together for us. I want it to be a big deal when, when I send my son. And so, you know, a couple weeks later, the, the angel comes and says, hey, we've got a great choir, some really great numbers. You're going to love them. Just let us know when you want us to go. We're ready to go. And a couple weeks pass by and he doesn't hear anything. So he comes to God and, God, is it time yet? Is tonight the night? Is today the day? Uh, no, it's just going to be a little bit while longer. And this thing goes back and forth between the angels and God and, you know, the choir director. Is it time? We, God, we've been practicing now for a thousand years. You know, we've, we've kind of got this thing locked down. We've got 15 understudies at this point. Like, we got a whole heavenly host. God says, no, tonight's not the night. And then finally, God comes to the angel. He says, today's the day. Today's the day I'm bringing my son into the world. Get the choir ready. Fire up the band. Let's make this a big deal. Today is the day where I'm bringing salvation into the world. And I'm here to tell you, if you are not in right relationship with God, today is your day. Today is the day to allow the Savior to come into your life, to allow him to pull you up out of the mess, out of the sin, out of the mud, out of living and eating with the pigs, and to pay the price for your sin, to pay the price to ransom you back to God, and to get you started back on living a life of destiny as a son or a daughter of the true and living God. Today is your day, December the 22nd, 2019. It is your day. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. If you're here today and you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're tired of running your own way like the younger brother, you're tired of living in sin and living in shame and wasting what the Father has given you, and you want to trust in Jesus, the true elder brother who has come and paid the price on the cross for your sin to redeem you. If that's you here today, I want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you today to just simply slip up your hand and say, pray with me. That's me. Pray with me today. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of going my own way. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together, everybody, from the front to the back. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross in my place for my sin. I repent of my sin. Thank you for cleansing me 
I am now your child. Thank you for your love. Help me to follow Jesus all the days of my life and fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you prayed in faith, truly trusting and believing in Jesus Christ, I believe that you are what the Bible says, born again. You are a new creation. That this is now your home, the people of God. You may have come in here as a stranger today, not knowing anything about this, but you're leaving today a son and a daughter of God a son of the king, a daughter of the king, chosen by him. We're so glad that you are here today, and we believe that God does have a plan, and God does have a purpose, and God does have a destiny for your life. And we're here to help you and to serve you any way that we can in your walk with the Lord.